Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Sandra Bang of Sherman and Sterling to address the universal question, how can I successfully manage my professional development team? Sandra shares her insights on how to lead a PD team with empathy and efficiency. Welcome, Sandra. We're pleased to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Craig. Thank you. To be the C-level executive for diversity and inclusion and talent management, what does that mean for Sherman and Sterling and for you? For Sherman and Sterling, it means that the law firm, the organization, has made a very intentional decision to take diversity and talent as a whole to the C-level, really give it a seat at the leadership table. And that's important because as a business, it is essentially signaling that it is a key asset, it's a part of leadership, it's a part of business strategy. In other words, it's a very important element, if not an essential element, to the success of the business and the way that it is going to deliver first-rate services to its clients globally. Well, that's great. That, that's really interesting to see that level of commitment developing in the top law firms. And in order to deliver on these requirements, you've built a team. And uh, could you describe for us the role and the structure of the team that you lead? Sure. The team consists of others, professionals, who are really passionate about learning, about recruiting, retaining, and advancing diverse and lawyers on both the business services side as well as on the uh, legal services side. So you currently have, or I currently have, um, subgroups that together create a uh, talent management team as a whole. So we've got folks who are dedicated to learning and development, professional development, if you will. We also have another team dedicated to recruitment and the recruitment function. And then we have a team that's dedicated to diversity and inclusion. And by bringing them all together as one team, what the firm is really pushing for is to look at this in a very integrated fashion. You can't see a function off on its own siloed. It really does all weave together so that from the moment that we are, for example, out on campus or we're out in the lateral recruitment market, we are looking for talent, but also at the same time thinking about how are we going to develop this talent? How are we going to retain and advance it? And it does take it takes resources. It takes a number of individuals really willing to collaborate in order to take a look at this from a very holistic perspective, bring it all together, work together in order to affect talent management as a whole. So it's, it's a good sized team and we really enjoy working with one another. That's great. I mean, uh, when you start the process, when you go out to recruit, what kind of qualifications and experience do you seek for the people that you hire? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, we are looking for people who are genuinely interested in this area, in this field. So professional development, people who are interested and have demonstrated their interest by getting involved in various activities with respect to adult learning, you know, and also the different ways in which adult learning can take place. Also taking a look at things like mentoring or uh, well-being 
or recruitment pipelines. So anything and everything related to truly the overall development of a lawyer as well as a business services employee, they have to demonstrate interest in that. Also show curiosity. Um, what are some of the ideas that they might have? And are they willing to talk about it? And if so, how do they talk about it? Um, so someone doesn't have to have exact law firm experience. It's certainly helpful if they have experience with uh, professional services firms generally. But frankly, especially now with innovation being a top priority for many businesses, including Sherman and Sterling, we are also looking for those who might have worked in other contexts so as to bring their passion, their interest, their experience in this field to the law firm so that we can think about, okay, in this different context, how can we roll this out? How can we make it happen? So the energy, the interest, the experience does all come into play. And when you sit down and have the conversation with somebody in an interview or an informal meeting, I think those things really come through. And that's really what we're looking for. Do you prefer certain types of skill sets, whether it's experience with instructional design or other types of uh, learning methodologies? No real preference. We want the whole thing, to be honest with you. You know, lately we've thought a lot about what might resonate using technology, for example. A lot of lawyers, for example, are looking for ways that they can learn through their devices or, you know, through other means other than sitting in a classroom, you know, for 45 minutes. Can they learn on the fly? And so more recently, we've brought people on board who are more expert and experienced in how do we convey this type of learning through a different medium other than bringing people together live. Um, instructional design is always important. I think more than anything, though, we're looking for people who are curious and who are not afraid to try new methodologies or to do additional research to figure out, okay, understanding where our learning population is now, what do they need in order to learn what they need to learn to do their best job in servicing our clients. We find that many of the teams are made up of both lawyers and non-lawyers or non-practicing attorneys. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about that in terms of the construction of your team? Sure, we have a mixture of both. The advantage of having formerly practicing lawyers is that they understand a certain context because of the practicing experience that they have had. They also have some vocabulary that can really come in handy when you're sitting across from a lawyer and trying to explain something in a way that they can really quickly understand. Um, so that does come in handy. Having said that, I think sometimes formerly practicing lawyers can have challenges when they have to switch hats. You really do have to understand what your role is, what your responsibility is by being a part of a business services team that's there to facilitate learning. And so those who are coming from non-legal backgrounds bring a whole different diverse set of experiences and perspectives. They often come as well from organizations that are ahead of the curve. Law firms can learn from other industries about how best to teach something or to facilitate learning. And so I don't think that it's an absolute necessary um, but it, you know, it comes in handy. You have a team then made up of diverse backgrounds and, and different skill sets. Um, how do you manage the team dynamics? And uh, what does effective team management look like? And how do you know if you're achieving it? That's a really good question. I think that effective team management involves a couple of different things. One is leadership. 
And I say that because I think the overall team needs direction. It needs a strategic plan. It needs to know where it's supposed to go and what it's supposed to be doing. And the leader really has to set that out and also demonstrate through example what that looks like. The leader also has to run interference. So as the PD director or manager, for example, if there is something that your team member needs in order to, for them to execute or do their best work, it is, I believe, the leader's responsibility to identify that need, help fill that need or close the gap, and then support that individual in any way, shape or form in order for them to actually do the work. The results will then show whether or not effective team management is happening. In addition to that, I think that not everyone is going to get along all the time. However, if you create a team environment, a forum within which people understand what their job is, they also feel included so that they can raise their hand and tell you if something's not going well, for example, or they're not going to hold back and really sharing their feelings about what's going well and what's not going well, then you've created essentially a safe environment within which people feel included, therefore are willing to share both good and bad. And you can't fix things or address things properly as a team if you don't have that type of environment and if you don't have the communication flowing so that everyone's really looped in on what's happening, what do we need to do in order to deliver that ultimate product. As you manage the team, do you have certain operating mechanisms in place to make sure that that communication is facilitated and that the messages are being sent and received? I'm smiling a little bit right now because one of the things that we did do is establish a standing weekly meetings. It's not just a go around the table and talk about what you've done lately type of thing. So let me give you an example. We start off the meeting actually talking about what is everyone feeling right here, right now? And as a leader, it's incredibly informative because to the extent that people are willing to share, they can tell you something that you can't tell from the outside what they're, what they're dealing with. You know, maybe they had a terrific weekend. Maybe they didn't have a terrific weekend. But as a leader, it's good to know. And as a teammate, it's good to know. Because then when you approach them throughout the day about something that might be done, you have additional context. And that might influence how you approach them. So go around the table. We talk about that. It gets some esprit de corps, if you will, going. And then we talk about what we need to make sure that each of us are aware of as well as are there any areas where we need additional help and support. So by having this standing meeting, we're able to formally check in with one another and it operationalizes in person, face-to-face, -face, the communication that's really necessary. I would think it also allows them to, you know, be present as an individual within the group, to, you know, that the team cares about them and has interest in what exactly is going on with them. Uh, Absolutely, it generates empathy too because by being there, you're really getting to know one another. Otherwise, it's words on an email. And I think technology's been terrific. One of the small downsides, perhaps, is the fact that we're not actually speaking face-to-face, -face, seeing the body language, hearing the tone as often. And that does make a difference in terms of really understanding what an individual and everything that they're also dealing with outside of work might involve and uh, just create more bonding. So it's been, it's actually been very effective and also fun. 
Good. Uh, I mean, I don't, you don't need me to tell you that a top 100 law firm is a pretty intense environment. And I'm sure certain days you really sort of feel that. No. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you, you know, deal with keeping a positive morale and, and, uh, and employee engagement uh, in, in that kind of maelstrom at times? Sure, sure. We go out of our way to support one another. It's one of the incredible things about this team, and there are certain members of the team that have been with the firm and with the team in particular for a very long time. And it's a pretty amazing thing to watch when one person identifies that another person might be a bit down or need extra support, and without even being asked, uh, they will offer additional help. Um, and sometimes it's in the form of, of food, um, but other times, more often than not, it's something substantive. And even just having someone there that sees you or hears what you're going through, that can often be an incredible energizing and morale boosting thing. Um, we take celebrations where we can. I think that's a really important thing as well. Um, and also, too, it's reminding one another of the accomplishments that we did have, that we did make um, and achieve as a team. Um, it's, it sounds very basic, but I think when you recognize each other's accomplishments and be willing to step in and support, especially when someone's really down, that goes a real long way. And no matter where we are, some of us travel more than others, no matter where we are, we make that extra effort. And as a leader, it's part of my responsibility to also you know, step in if I feel like you know, someone needs a little bit of extra support or maybe you know, I can create some connection somewhere. And by also doing those things, I think that it helps keep morale going. So recognition, celebration, uh, stepping in at the at the right moment. Timing, they say, is often very important when it comes to that type of reinforcement, particularly positive reinforcement should be in the moment uh, and, uh, and making an effort to, to do that type of thing. But if there are other obstacles that are perhaps not in your immediate uh, purview, how, how does one remove obstacles uh, at the firm that might be hindering uh, the you know, team success or team management? I think sometimes, and it requires judgment and the right teeing up, if you will, of the ask, you as the leader in particular have to go to a business owner. You have to go to a partner or maybe it's someone more senior on the business services side and say, we've identified this issue and we are driving things to this result. However, we see this as being a stumbling block. And here is the business case why you as an owner, as a partner, can help us in reducing or eliminating the hurdle so that we as a team can then follow through and ultimately do what the firm is asking us to do when it comes to talent management, for example. And you have to be willing, especially again as a leader, to raise your hand and have that sometimes difficult conversation with all the rationale and the business argument for why an owner of the business should step in and help remove that hurdle. That's, re that's very interesting. I think very helpful uh, to help you know, the partners or other members of the firm understand their role as a business owner, not just as a lawyer representing clients 
uh, and that type of thing, but really understanding the organization that they, that they are part of and that they lead. That's a, that's a great way of, of thinking about it. Uh, in terms of your own team and the PD team members, uh, how do they advance their careers? Um, and what does career success look like uh, for them? I think career success looks different to each individual. It's very unique to that individual in terms of where they're trying to go. Again, really fortunate, and I'm a huge believer of this, and I always have been, that one of the reasons why we're all together is because we can provide resources to one another, including the networks that we have. And so as a team, we talk quite openly about what our future career goals are, what our development goals are, and if there are ways that we can help each other advance on those goals and achieve them, whether that's within the firm or otherwise, then we go out of our way to do that. And the directors on my team, as well as myself, we talk a lot about what that succession planning um, looks like overall as a team, also for each of the individuals. It's something that we take very seriously. And I myself have very um, pointed conversations with each person on the team to say, where do you want to see yourself 12 months from now, three years from now? What can I do? Can we talk about some different ideas about how I can help you advance your career in this space? Is career pathing within an organization like yours, is it very set or do you have flexibility to create roles and to move people into things that seem to uh, you know, suit their particular uh, uh, skill set and, and, and are of service to the firm, but may not have existed previously? We know that the ability to show someone what a career path looks like is an essential element to retention. People come to the firm because they believe that they will be able to do good work, but also because they can reach their potential and fulfill their career goals and path. I think it's our responsibility to show them what that path could look like at the firm. It's not always easy. Sometimes someone's looking for something that you can't give them, frankly. And if that's the case, then you have to think outside the box and think outside of your own immediate needs in your organization to uh, see where that can go. But it's, um, it's an important point and it's something that we're continuing to talk about. Sandra, can you tell us a little, a little bit about your own career path? Uh, and how you've ended up in talent strategy at a top 100 law firm. And, uh, and also, as you mentioned to me, you migrated from uh, Canada to the United States. Uh, tell us a little bit about your sure. story. Sure, and thank you for asking. I started off practicing litigation in Toronto for a full service law firm there. I also spent a bit of time with the Ontario government. And after a few years, I took a step back and thought about, you know, where do my passions really lie? What do I want to do next? I was pretty clear that I didn't want to practice law anymore. And so I started to do some research into what are some of the other functions in a law firm. And I quickly saw that in order for lawyers and others to do their best work, you need to have a professional development department or a recruitment department. And so I went on some interviews and as it turned out, I ended up getting a job, um, worked for a different full service law firm in Toronto, running their associate and um, recruiting functions, and then had an opportunity to move to the United States, New York in particular. And before I made the move, I did do some research into, again, what does it look like in the US market? And like a 
lot of other things, the U.S. market, New York again in particular, is so much larger than the Toronto market and just different. So I reached out to all the different contacts and networks that I had to ask about, you know, what does professional development look like in New York? You know, who should I be talking to? Where might I get some more information? And um, also reached out to different headhunters and was very fortunate to have an opportunity to work for a different law firm, you know, really cut my teeth there, learned a lot, still keep in touch with a lot of the colleagues there. And then eventually just made my way through the various departments. I knew that I really loved strategy and creating vision and a plan. And so, you know, ultimately I got to where I am folding in all the different functions that I do think have to work in an integrated approach, meaning diversity and inclusion, professional development, legal recruitment, um, and other related HR functions, bringing them all together so as to per, you know, really provide the best service and product from a talent management perspective. So it's, it's really been able to, it's really been amazing to be able to provide this service to Sherman and Sterling. Um, and, and it's been fun too along the way. Is the professional development team capable of helping to mold that, cult that culture in the law firm? I think so. We often have our ear to the ground and we also know what is happening in the marketplace. And we know that especially law students, but also laterals are looking for learning opportunities. And that's why we are at the firm. We are responsible for that. And so we can talk about all the you know, latest and greatest strategic programming that we are offering to everyone at the firm so that when the recruiters are out there, talking to different people who are or may be interested in the future and coming and working for us, they know exactly with concrete examples of what we as a firm are offering in terms of learning and professional development. So I think we absolutely are key in terms of what we're doing and what we know in informing partners and others who are out there uh, trying to recruit um, and get the word out there about what the firm's all about. We can really equip them with what they need to know in order for them to go out and recruit the best talent. And I would imagine that uh, your team seeing that they can actually have that type of impact on the firm and its culture must be satisfying to them in, the, in their work. Absolutely. We as a team really look at all of the functions of diversity, inclusion, recruitment, MPD holistically. And so if anyone approached the team, they would be able to talk about oh, you're going to X, Y, and Z recruitment function or, or forum. Here are three things that you might want to know that the team's currently working on or three things that the firm just rolled out that can better help you go out and do what you need to do. Um, and, the, and the team's really proud of the fact that they're able to do that with them. All right, that, that's great. And that, I think that's a great point for us to, to close out on. I'd like to thank my guest, Sandra Bang, Chief Diversity and Talent Strategy Officer at Sherman & Sterling for sharing her insights. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's PD Insider. This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you.